This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast Weekend Edition. And on Saturdays when we do a show, which we don't always do, we play shows from our old time radio grab bag. So this is our grab bag show number 10. And this is where I just go in and play shows that don't normally fit the categories of our daily shows. They're not necessarily comedies, or they're not well-known comedies, or there's not a lot of them. Maybe they're not, uh, they're not dramas, they're not mystery shows, and they're not westerns. Or, like I said, maybe they were done in a very limited capacity, there's only a few episodes available, and so I normally don't play those week to week, but on the grab bag, man, these are perfect. So I've gone in today and just uh, grabbed a handful, and this is what we've got lined up for you this week. We've got an episode of Stars in the Air, and it's a comedy entitled The Conquering Hero. We have an episode of The Doris Day Show, which was sort of a musical show. These are all half-an-hour shows. We have an episode of The Sad Sack Radio Show. Remember The Sad Sack? He was a comic strip back in the 40s and 50s. And then we're going to finish things up with a really compelling episode of X-1. So we have a great lineup. Now, these are shows that in many cases I've listened to, but I haven't gone in and and, uh, done a lot of editing as far as taking out commercials and whatnot. Some of these, to be honest, I haven't even listened to in a long time. So I just grab them out and uh, try not to spend a lot of time getting this show ready, because after all, it's my weekend, too. So, sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's old-time radio grab bag number 10. Okay, what we have coming up now is an episode of Stars of the Air, which was a an anthology show. Stars of the Air was a uh, show that was produced by the Screen Guild Theater, a development of the Screen Actors Guild, and its purpose was to raise money for the Motion Picture Relief Fund, which was founded in 1921 by a group of silent film stars, including Mary Pickford and Douglas Fairbanks and Charlie Chaplin. What was the fund designed to do? Well, it was designed to help those in the film industry who had fallen on hard times because it recognized their value to the industry. Money was made by the creation of various broadcast programs, all of which were radio adaptations of famous motion pictures. Members offered their services to the program for little or no fees, and the profits from the shows went into the fund. So what we're going to hear tonight is a uh, a show from uh, April the 3rd, 1952. It's entitled Hail the Conquering Hero. And this was an adaptation of a film by the same name that was directed by Preston Sturgis. 
And it features uh, Eddie Bracken, who was also in the original film, William Demarest, and Nancy Gates. Hollywood's greatest stars in Hollywood's greatest motion picture. From the glamorous movie capital of the world, we bring you Stars in the Air. Our play tonight, Hail the Conquering Hero. Our starring players, Eddie Bracken, William Demarest, and Nancy Gates. Our stage, the famous Screen Guild Theater. Good evening, this is John Jacobs. Welcome back to Stars in the Air to 30 Minutes of Transcribed Delight. Our story tonight goes back to the last war, the big war, to its tears and its laughs, and to the curious way it had of mixing them both. Stars in the Air is proud to bring you Paramount's great motion picture, Hail the Conquering Hero, starring William Demarest, Eddie Bracken, and Nancy Gates. William Demarest is a hard-boiled Marine sergeant who tells our story. You see, it's pretty early in the war, and we're fresh back from Guadalcanal. Only us six is a, a little wilted, you know, on account of we've lately met up with a pair of very unpatriotic dice. Six of us, and exactly 15 cents between us. <laughs> so we march into this joint and order one beer. That's right, one beer. But when the waiter comes back... Here you are, gentlemen. Six beers, six sandwiches. Six beers, six sandwiches? And everything paid for. Paid for? By who? That little guy over there at the end of the bar. Yeah? Come on, guys. We got to thank you. Yeah, let's go over and thank that guy. Hey, buddy. Was these beers from you? Oh, that's all right. I just happened to hear the waiter say something about six Marines and one beer and maybe ought to serve it with straws. He said that, huh? Where is he? <laughs> I already told him. Maybe we should tell him some more. Come on, next, you guys. This is strictly social. Come on, drink up. Thanks, civilian. Here's to you. Semper Fidelis. Hey. Semper Fidelis. Hey, you know our motto. Yeah, I know the motto. Was you in the Marine Corps, maybe? <laughs> yeah, I was in the Marine Corps. Uh, hey, bartender, set him up again. Hey, that's very nice. Uh, how, uh, how long have you been out, son? From the Marines? Yeah. I was only in a month. <laughs> hey, you hardly had time to get corns on your feet. <laughs> hey, how come you're out? Were you wounded? How could he get wounded in boot camp? He could have fell off a roof, or uh, he could have got kicked by it a It was uh, hay jeeper. fever. <laughs> chronic hay fever. <clears throat> Gee, chronic, huh? That's the worst kind. That's a tough break. <laughs> tough break. Say, did you try the Army or the Navy? They'll take anything. They wouldn't take me. I went into a shipyard. Uh, that's tough. Anyway, you were doing the job. I suppose so, but not the job I wanted to do. See, I was kind of born to be a Marine. My father was killed at Bella Wood the day I was born. Almost the same hour. Yeah, All I ever thought about was being a Marine. I, I did exercises. I never drank or smoked. I studied all about them. I can tell you every battle the Marines were in from 1775 down to now. New Providence, Fort Nassau, the Second Battle of Trenton, the Bonhomme Richard and the Serapis, hmm. Tripoli in 1805, Nuka Hive in 1812, the Battle of Hatchie Lusty River in 1837, Veracruz in 46, Capultepec, the Halls of Montezuma, 
Panama in 85, Guantanamo Bay in 98. Mm. Then the Philippines, the Boxer Rebellion in China, Nicaragua, Coitepe Hill, Fort Riviera in Haiti, then Chateau Terry, Bella Wood, the charge at Soissons, Sammy Hale, and now Wake Island, Guam, Bataan, Corregidor, Guadalcanal. They bled and died. They gave me a big send-off when I left. The band was playing, the crowd was hollering, my mother crying. Everybody wondering if I'd come home a general or just a sergeant like my father. Well, it's one thing to go home with medals on your chest and another thing to go home with hay fever <laughs> and a medical discharge. You mean you ain't been home? No, I, uh, I wrote my mother I was going across. That's a terrible thing to do to your mother. <laughs> you ought to be ashamed. I am. You say your father was a sergeant at Bellawood? Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah? I was at Bellawood. What was his name? True Smith. True Smith? You mean Hinky Dinky's True Smith? That's right. But he was my sergeant. I saw him fall. Right then I was being born in Oak Ridge. Say, did you know your father got the Congressional Medal? I grew up with it. They hung it on me. That's where she lives, huh, Oak Ridge? Who? Your mother. Sure. You ought to be ashamed of you. <laughs> ah, take it easy, Bugsy. Go away and cool off, will you? Now, go on. Treating his mother that way, you ought to be ashamed <laughs> What did I do to him? Oh, I don't pay no attention to him. Bugsy never had a mother. He's from an orphan's home. A little screwy, too. Yeah, but he's all right. He got a little shot up. There's nothing serious there. Oh, I, I'm yeah. sorry. I didn't... Well, so you're a hinky-dinky's kid, huh? That's right. What's your name? Woodrow Lafayette Pershing Truesmith. <laughs> Go ahead and laugh. Ah, that ain't nothing to laugh at to anybody that knows anything. My name is Heffelfinger. <laughs> Julius Heffelfinger. But just call me Sarge. And boy, we got a lot to talk about. Hey, bartender, set him up again. Another round for... Uh, oh, pardon me. That's all right, Sergeant. The beers are on me. Louie is laying out there and he's hit pretty bad. And somebody says, you got to get him, see? And one of the boys says, uh, let's draw lots. But Hinky, he says, I'm the sergeant, see? And he starts right out hey, and... your mother's on the phone. She wants to talk to you. Will you pipe down, Bugsy? I... What? Not your mother. <laughs> the kids. You mean my mother? Yeah, she's on the phone collect. You dumb cluck. How can I talk to my mother if I'm overseas? You ain't. You just come back with us from Guadalcanal. You're going home tomorrow. Going home? Bugsy, you nuts. He's trying to keep his mother from knowing he ain't been... You want to make some, Ivor? Pipe down. (laughs) Kid, you better get on that phone. Right there, in the booth. Yeah, come on. Hello? Is that you, Mama? Hello, Mama. Sure, I'm all right. Of course I am. I never felt better in my life. How have you been, Mama? Daisy. Shut up. Uh. <laughs> did you get my letters, Mama? You did, huh? Oh, that's fine. I, I was afraid you might have been worried, and I... I you, huh? That I was wounded and honorably discharged from the service? Who told you that? I didn't want it to worry no more. <laughs> Oh, now, now, wait a minute, Mama. Look, you can hardly call it a wound. It, it was more like a scratch. It was more like a fever. It, it, just a little fever. That's all, Mama. 
No, honest, I, I'm fine. I take my vitamins every day. <laughs> that I'm coming. Look, Mama, I can't come home, Mama. I, I can't, that's all. Well, sure, I want to come home. Why wouldn't I? I'm crazy to see you and Libby and, and, and everybody, but... This is war, Mama. Hey, hold it. Give me that phone. You can go home. Huh? I just figured it out. Here, give me that phone. Wait a minute, please. Just a minute. Hello, uh, Mrs. Trusmith? Will you give me this that? This is Sergeant Heffelfinger. Wait a minute, Sergeant. I she... guess maybe you never heard of me, of huh? Of course not. She doesn't... But know... I was a friend of Hinky Dink. Sergeant, I, I don't want to sound ungrateful. I, I, I know you meant it for the best, taking me home, but I... Uh, and I don't mind laying out for the seven tickets or anything. I'm... I'm honored to have you go home with me. Honored. But it's just wearing this uniform. It makes me nervous. Well, you can't go home without it. Well, I shouldn't go home with it. And, and, and this medal. Oh, that. That was just for pulling a Frenchman out of a creek or something. Now, don't worry about it. Yeah, you gotta think about your mother. The regulations are very clear. You can wear your uniform home, yes, but not longer than 30 days. Suppose you was laid off in South Africa. Yeah, and you went home on foot. Oh. They can't tell you how to go home. You can go home on a pogo stick. The regulations is very elastic. And besides, you got to think about your mother. <laughs> you know, Sarge, his uniform don't look right. He ought to have the battle blaze. Mm. Well, I'm not going to have the battle blaze. It's bad enough like this. Now, take it easy. Who's going to notice anything? You slip off the train, up a side street, your mother's waiting on the front porch, you put your arms around her. That's right. You get out of your uniform, you salt it away in mothballs, and there you are. She's happy, you're happy, everybody is happy, and nobody is happy. It isn't only my mother. I, I, I got a girl, too. I mean, I did have her. Her name is Libby. What did you tell her? Well, I, I told her I fell for somebody else, so she wouldn't wait. Oh, you can figure some angle for her. I, I can't. I tell you, I'm no good at lying. And, and suppose I see someone I know at the station. We'll surround you. You got nothing to worry about. Coming into Oakley, kids. Brush you all for reception. Reception? What reception? Oh, I reckon you ought to know. You're the only folks who's getting off here. Huh? Hey. And a band. What do you mean, hey, band? They got four bands. And will you look at the signs? Welcome, Woodrow. Hey. I gotta get out of this uniform. Where's my suitcase? Porter, Porter, unlock that door. Okay, no boss. Not while we're in the station. Oh. <laughs> Whoa! Four bands and only one medal. That ain't right. I told you, you should have had the battle plane. And the Navy Club. The Congressional Medal. Kid, you just have to change uniform. Not me. I'm getting out of here. Come but on, you... now keep cool. Will you grab Is something wrong with him? I, I, I don't know, Libby. It must be the fever. Woodrow! Woodrow! Mama! Ouch! <laughs> Hello, Mama. Oh, Hello, Libby. Woodrow! Woodrow! Woodrow, we're so proud of you. What did you say? I said we're so proud of you. We'll kill you. Ouch! Come on, let's get out of here. Just a minute, Woodrow. Just a minute. What? 
He said, just a minute. Yeah, I'm the chairman, you see. <laughs> I want to give you the schedule, Woodrow. S- schedule? What schedule? In the reception ceremonies. Now, let me see. First, the General Zabriskie's Wait statue. a minute, Doc. I can't oh, go... Oh, you just say a few words. You know, uh, unprepared as I am to lay this wreath with reverence and admiration. Admir- and so ad- forth and forth so forth. forth. Uh, no, look, but... Yeah, and from there to the church. The church. To burn the mortgage. The, the mo- what mortgage? What yeah, mortgage? On your mother's home. We raised the money this morning. I no. think that was very nice. Oh, but they can't. They can't do that. Sure they can. You're a hero. But... And then Mayor Royal's going to make a speech. He always does, you know. <laughs> and then we'll discuss the monument. The mon- what monument? <laughs> it's by public subscription. Nothing elaborate, you understand. It's something modest no. and granite. You and your father shaking hands. Oh, no. And a bronze inscription, like father, like son. You can't. Yeah, I think that's all. Oh, I... Woodrow, isn't that wonderful? Look, Mama, I can't let him do it. You don't understand. Stand. What's I, the matter? I, you want to disappoint your mother? That's right. Call the rest of them jerks. All right, now. Into the cars. It would roll. Wait, you look, I can't look. I'm trying to explain. You can't fly. Hey, Judge. Judge Dennis. Yeah, hello, Sheriff. What's up? Judge, have I got a great idea. What? You've been saying we need a progressive candidate for mayor. So what? So we got him. Got him? Got who? What's the matter with Woodrow Truesmith? Woodrow Truesmith for mayor? Hey, that's great. That's great. <laughs> ah, gee, uh, cute little house you got here, Woody. I'll say. Nice and quiet after all them civic doings. Boy, what a day. What a day. Sure, for you, Sarge. But what about me? What do I do now? Nothing much, Woody. You just let it blow over. Did you ever see a statue blow over? <laughs> oh, that. Well, uh, maybe you could be sort of hard to please. But uh, 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 they wanted standing up, so you wanted sitting down. Oh. They wanted shaking hands. You want the hands behind your back. But now wait. Till one day they say, "Do you want it or don't you?" And you say, "No." And there you are. Well, what do I do about the mortgage? Uh, you just uh, uh, now look. I tell you, it'll all blow over. Everything is perfect. Except for a couple of details. They hang people for a couple of details. Woodrow. Huh? Judge Dennis is here for you. J- uh, Judge, De- De- uh, Judge Dennis, he's, he's yes, here. Yes, with Doc Bissell and the sheriff. I knew it. Here it comes. Now, don't worry. We, we'll surround you. Yeah, you were going to surround me at the station, remember? Come in, Sheriff. Come right in, Judge. Oh, gosh. there you are, Woodrow. Oh, hello, Judge. Judge, Dennis. Young man, huh? I'm surprised at you. Where are the medals? Oh, the the, the medals. Oh, well, I, I just... Uh, I, well, warm at the train. I shouldn't have, I suppose. You hear that, I, Sheriff? Make a note of it. Got it, Judge. Okay, I'm... I'm ready. I, come on, let's... Let's go. Oh, there's no need to go. Huh? We plan to do it right here. But yeah? Now, look here, Judge. Please, Sergeant. This is personal. Woodrow, there's something rotten in this town. I know. That's why we're here. I know it, Sheriff, but uh, do you have to do it in front of my mother? Well, why not? This town needs to be awakened, Woodrow. We need an honest man who will tell us the truth. An honest man who will tell the truth and win. We got an honest man who tells the truth, but Doc Bissell only pulls 32 votes outside of his brother and his wife. And I'm not sure about my wife. (laughs) So, Woodrow, I want you to take my place. 
But, Doc, I, I, I'm not a veterinary. I, I hardly know one end of a horse from a... a, a, a... <laughs> Woodrow, huh? we want you to run for mayor. For mayor? For mayor? May, 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 you for mayor? Oh, oh, oh! Woodrow! Oh, it must be the fever. He's fainted. Oh. Well, maybe he wouldn't accept the nomination. Maybe it would be too much for him. No, sir. Wouldn't be too much at all. Sergeant, you're... You're, you're sure? Why, sure, I'm sure. Speaking for the U.S. Marines, I say, dead or alive, he's going to be mayor. <laughs> you're listening to Hail the Conquering Heroes, starring Eddie Bracken, Nancy Gates, and William Demarest. Our story will continue in just a moment, but first, here's a friendly word to the wise. Tarzan, yes, the one and only Tarzan, straight from the jungles, brings you his new adventures every Saturday night on most of these same stations. Listen for Tarzan this Saturday night on CBS Radio. Now back to Stars in the Air and our Paramount picture, Hail the Conquering Hero, starring Eddie Bracken as Woodrow Truesmith, Nancy Gates as Libby, and William Demarest as the sergeant who continues our story. Well, that Woodrow for mayor gets around mighty fast. We want Woodrow. We want Woodrow for our mayor. We and pretty soon they got a king-sized rally out in front of the house. And he keeps shouting for Woodrow to make a speech. So he makes a speech. Yes, sir, he stands right up there on the porch and says... Ladies and gentlemen, I, uh... I... I wish I were dead. That is, uh... I'm no hero. I don't deserve to be mayor. You hear that, folks? That's how modest he is. No. But you listen to me and I'll tell you about he, him. No. I'll tell you how he saved my life. Saved you? No. Wait a minute, Sarge. It was this way. Look. We're on the beach at Tenerife. Oh, no. See, and all of a sudden we hear, here they come. And the Woodrow, you shouldn't drink too much, no matter how you feel like celebrating. Libby, are you going to start now? Woodrow, I'm only thinking of your own good. Well, there are too many people thinking of my own good, and I'll tell you something else. I have something to tell you, Woodrow. All right, but the less you're seen hanging around here, the better it'll be for you, you understand? Now, I'm telling you that for your good. Well, you needn't think I want to cash in on your glory. Who said anything I about... just wanted to tell you I'm going to be married. Married? To Forrest Royal, the mayor's son. And the only reason I didn't tell you all day but was... that's wonderful. ...was because I didn't want to spoil your homecoming. But that's great. That's the first good news I heard all day. <laughs> well, I'm glad you feel that way about it. At least I don't have to worry about you. Who ever asked you to worry about me? What, Libby? Everyone's I, I... saying I threw you over to Mary Forrest Royal while you were fighting overseas. As but if the... I'd do such a thing. Yeah. But I couldn't go around wearing your letter in my hat so they'd know you'd fallen in love with somebody else. Well, that's... Which was... is your perfect right, of course. And I'm deeply in love with Forrest. And then you have to come back a heap... A he, heel. A hero. Hero. So now they can say, you see, it served her right. Listen, Libby, you don't know how well off you are. I know how I felt when you jilted me. Libby, listen, you gotta forget me. Just forget me for good. Of course, there's no hope for Mom. She'll just have to leave town, but... <laughs> you can always say you suspected me, and that's why you broke off with me and married Forrest, who's all right if you like people like that. <laughs> Then you won't get hurt, see? 
Woodrow, I... Now I can tell you that that letter I wrote was the hardest thing I ever did in all my life. I thought about you every night, every morning, and every afternoon. And every girl I saw reminded me of you, and every flower I wanted to send to you. That's why I'm so happy, see. Because you had such a narrow escape. Woodrow, I, I think you're a little feverish. Who, me? I'm just a little phony, that's all. A little. You? A phony? That's right. They'll all find it out soon enough. But I was never in Guadalcanal or any place else. I never got any medals. I wasn't even in the Marines, really. Understand? Oh, darling, you, you've had a very hard day. Yes, but wait till tomorrow comes. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, uh, friends, I'm, uh, I'm going to be very brief. You didn't come here to listen to me. You came to hear the man that fate brought back to us just in time to lead us to victory at the polls. And so, I give you our hero candidate, the next mayor of Oak Ridge, Woodrow Trusme. Ladies and gentlemen, I was born in this town... My father was born here. I sold papers on the street to most of you who are here tonight. I, I've known you all my life. Your friendship means a good deal to me, and I... I want you to know how much it would have meant to me to be the mayor, or the city clerk, or the assistant city clerk, or the dog catcher of, of this town, which was my grandfather's farm. By the same token, I would have gladly given my life to have earned just one of the many ribbons you've seen me wearing on my chest... If I could reach as high as my father's shoestrings, my whole life would be justified and I would stand here before you proudly instead of as a thief and the coward that I am. A coward because I should have told you a year ago that I was discharged from the Marine Corps for medical unfitness. A thief because I stole your admiration. I stole the ribbons. I stole this nomination. I have never been in Guadalcanal or any place else. I've been working in a shipyard for the last year. I'm telling you all this because too many men have bled and died for you and, and for me to live this lie any longer. I'm going home now and pack my things so this will be my last chance to say goodbye. I, I know my mother will give you back the mortgage and I, I hope you won't hold it against her that the son didn't quite come through. It's no use telling you I'm sorry because I, I, I wish I were dead. Guess that's all. Please, please, if everyone will keep their seats. That's what I say. Now, don't anyone move. Sit down. Now, listen to me. Come on, now, there's six of us, see? And we're from Guadalcanal, and we ain't fooling. Now, there's just one thing I want to tell you. I've seen a lot of brave men in my life. That's my business. But what that kid just done took real courage. And now that he shot off his mouth, you might as well hear the truth about it. The whole thing started in San Francisco. A lonely little kid trying to forget all the things he'd been dreaming about all his life. Woodrow, you'd better take your muffler. In case it's cold where you go. I don't think there's a chance, Mama. <laughs> you mustn't feel too bad. I know you meant it for the best, dear. I know you meant it for me. Woodrow, 
Libby. Woodrow, I, I hope you can afford two tickets. Because I'm going with you. You're going with me? Of course I am. I've never loved anybody but you, and you've never loved anybody but me. Well, you can't say it's just because you're a hero, can you? Oh, Woodrow, and I think I almost lost you. Libby, please. Look, you got to be sensible. What's being sensible got to do with love? But don't you see, hey, I... Hey, Woody! Wait, wait a minute. Listen! What, Woodrow, look! Why, it's the whole town, almost! What is it, a lynching? <laughs> oh, no, you, you've got to get out of here. Huh? We didn't pass him, Judge. He must still be in there. Well, let's go in and get him, Sergeant. Run, Woodrow. Go on, out the back way. No, I'll stay and face the music. Well, I'm glad we caught you, Woodrow. Yeah, right in the nick of time. Hey, Woodrow! Woodrow, we had quite a talk after you left the rally. The sergeant told us a few things. Quite a few things. That you had forgotten to mention, Woodrow. Look, I, I told you everything, Judge. I, I... Naturally, the nomination went back to Doc Bissell. Naturally. But he got up and said... Uh, I said, ladies and gentlemen... The doc's a little long-winded, so I'll boil it down. <laughs> he said that you just proved you were honest, loyal, and courageous. This town couldn't possibly find a better mayor. I, I don't understand. I... I'm a little dizzy. We're all a little dizzy, Woodrow. But that's the simple truth. We want you for mayor. You mean you still want me? For the love of Pete. Can't you understand English? Now hurry up and accept, will you? Because the boys ain't got much time. We got to catch that train. Oh, but, Sarge, where did you get the six tickets? Oh, we raised them at the rally. Public subscription. <laughs> Gee, Sarge, I, I... I don't know what to say. I Don't say it. It was a pleasure. Anything for the son of an old friend. I knew the Marines could do almost anything, but I, I never knew they could do anything like this. <laughs> you got no idea. Well, so long, pal. Semper Fidelis. Semper Fidelis. Semper Fidelis. And so the curtain falls on the unforgettable Paramount picture, Hail, the Conquering Hero. And back on stage for a few final words, here are the stars who made our story so delightful. Eddie Bracken, William Demarest, and Nancy Gates. Johnny, I, I know we're rushed for time, so I'll just say it's wonderful to be here and a privilege to help a great cause like the Motion Picture Relief Fund. And fun to be back with my old pal, Bill Demarest, and such a promising, lovely, luscious new star like uh, Nancy Gates. <laughs> Bill, do you have anything to say? How could I? You took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> well, if you don't mind, Bill, I have something to suggest. Uh, uh, what, Nancy? Uh -huh. Well, uh, Johnny Jacobs is so impatient to announce next week's show, I suggest we run along and let him announce it. Hey, not a bad idea. Come on, Nancy. Good night, everybody. Good night. Nancy, yeah. come on. This Thanks way. again. Good night. Next week, a story that will steal away your hearts. A story of a man and a boy, of life and death, of dreams and hopes that go beyond our everyday world. Yes, it's MGM's provocative and intriguing story, On Borrowed Time. And it will star that grand old man of the screen, Lionel Barrymore, and Beulah Bondi, and Reed Hadley. Be sure to listen. Hail the Conquering Hero is presented through the courtesy of Paramount Pictures, whose latest release is a George Stevens production, Something to Live For, starring Joan Fontaine, Ray Moland, and Teresa Wright. William Demarest has just completed John Ford's What Price Gloria, 20th Century Fox production. Eddie Bracken will soon be seen starring in the Warner Brothers picture About Face. 
Nancy Gates, will soon be seen in the exciting Paramount picture, The Atomic City. Also heard in our cast tonight were Ed Max, Shep Mencken, Harry Lang, Herb Vigran, Norma Varden, Lou Merrill, Frank Nelson, Norman Field, and Joe Granby. Stars in the Air was transcribed in Hollywood. This is John Jacobs. And remember the comedy treat that can't be beat is Jack Benny Time, Sunday nights on the CBS Radio Network. Stars of the Air, as originally heard on CBS on April 3rd, 1952, that was their radio adaptation of the film Hail the Conquering Hero. Coming up next, we have an episode of the Doris Day Show. Of course, Doris Day was America's sweetheart, and she was a songbird. And uh, in this radio program, she starred in a 30-minute musical program that uh, highlighted her musical talents and those of her guests. Tonight, her guest stars are Donald O'Connor and Liberace. This one was first broadcast on CBS May the 2nd, 1952. From Hollywood with Donald O'Connor and Liberace as her guests, it's the Doris Day Show. Columbia Square in Hollywood. Here's Warner Brothers' lovely singing star, Doris Day. Hi, everybody. Let's open the meeting with one of the top tunes of the 20s. Gown, you'd be out of place in your own hometown 
when you walk down the avenue. I just can't believe that it's you. Painted lips. Those painted lips and painted eyes. Wearing a bird of paradise. It all seems wrong somehow. That you're nobody's sweetheart now. Just can't believe that it's you. Just can't believe it's you. Painted lips, painted eyes, wearing a bird of paradise. It all seems wrong somehow that you're nobody's sweetheart now. You're nobody's sweetheart. You're nobody's sweetheart. You're nobody's sweetheart now. much, ladies and gentlemen. Say, you feel like cutting a caper, Dodo? Well, I might. Why? Well, of all the requests that came in the mail this week, uh, you'll never guess which song was the most requested. Well, now, I don't have to guess because I know. Okay, then set your compass for due north. The folks want to hear Canadian capers. Well, I'm with you. Shall we now? I heard you call for an all-star band. It's something new for the music stand. It's on the way, but before we start, a cutting capers around your heart. You're gonna cheer when you hear this band. There's never been a better crew. And when you hear the drummer, Lottie, how the join the hum of cutting capers just for you. You'll never pick about a pick a quarrel with Mr. Cooper or with Frankie Carr. You'll never dig a list of bigger names. A cutting capers with Harry James, with Benny Goodman and his clarinets. And Tommy Dorsey's in it too. Alvina Ray will start walk and talk a steel guitar cutting capers just for you. Listen to that tenor saxophone. Never heard it played with such a tone. And when you get that liquor stick out in the woodshed sun, why it's pop of any goodman and he's showing you quick how the proper liquor stick ends done. Listen to that fiddle player slap, slap, slap. For he plays it, he really lays it in your lap, lap, lap. Say, I'll bet before they're through, you'll be Yes, it's love. I'm cutting capers so you'll notice me when we're together. 
together, can't you see? I'm only blowing off a talking figure, short off a cup and capers, cause it's truly da do da Baby, I'm in love. Baby, I'm in love. Baby, I'm in love with. Baby, I'm in love with. Baby, I'm in love with you. Thanks very much, folks. And now I'd like to bring on a really exciting artist. He's at home at the piano with everything from Beethoven to Boogie Woogie and the blues. And his music makes great concert halls as relaxed as your own living room. So let's swing the spotlight to that charming king of the keyboard, Liberace! Hello, everyone. Hi, Dodo, and thanks for those lovely words. Incidentally, uh, my friends call me Lee. Okay, Lee. By the way, how come the gimmick of using just one name? Well, that's a long story, Dodo. You see, my family wasn't too well-to-do. Ah, they couldn't afford to give you two names. Well, not quite. (laughs) You see, Liberace was our last name, and since we already had three musicians in the family, my father, sister, and brother, Uh it was the consensus of opinion that I should make a career in some occupation that would give me a steady income. Oh, like what? Well, they wanted me to be an undertaker. Oh, no! Oh, yes. The idea being, I guess, that in this business, there's never a slack season. (laughs) So you might have turned out to be another Digger Odell, huh? Listen, but you still haven't told me about the one name. Well, I'm coming to that, Dodo. Just about that time, uh, we were visited by an old friend of the family, Paderewski. (gasps) Well, if it's the Paderewski I'm thinking of, he was a pretty fair piano player, too. Oh, he was one of the greatest... Well, anyway, he heard me play the piano, and he convinced both me and my family that I should make it my career. Mm -hmm. And he was the one also who suggested that for professional purposes, I just use one name. Well, I guess you owe a vote of thanks to Paderewski. Something tells me you're a better pianist than you would have been an undertaker. Don't you think so, Lee? Well, I suppose so. Besides, it's more fun working before a live audience. (laughs) (laughs) Incidentally, Dodo... Paderewski gave me one of my most treasured possessions, a silver piano. Oh, he must have been a good friend of the family. Oh, he was, and that started me on my hobby of collecting pianos. And today I have more than 200 of them in my home. Where do you live, in the Hollywood Bowl? (laughs) I forgot to mention there are miniature pianos. Oh. All kinds of them, crystal, gold, china, ivory, bone and wood, and one's a radio, several are music boxes, snuff boxes, ashtrays, cigarette boxes, but they're all pianos. Say, Lee, I have one you might add to your collection. It's different from anything you've mentioned. Wonderful. What's it like? It's a piano-sized piano that plays like a piano. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of pianos, we have one right here in the studio. Uh Uh-huh. And we never let a guest go home without doing something for our show. So, you're elected. Gee, I haven't even been nominated. (laughs) Dodo, I'll be very happy to play. Oh, wonderful. And since one of the features of your concerts is your own way of introducing your selection, I'm going to let you do that, too. Well, fine. It's a little tune that started out as Mama You Quiero, and uh, I changed it to the American title, I Want My Mama, because it uh, reminds me of little children and the vitality that they... Uh, express in their daily activities, playing and so forth. And oh, I it tried to set good. it to music. Uh huh. Good.
was terrific. Lee, it was just out of this world. Oh, thank you, Dodo. You know, turnabout is fair play, so I'd like you to be my guest. All right. You name it. Well, my hobby is cooking, so I'd like you to be my guest at a spaghetti dinner, which I'll prepare myself. Oh, that's great. And we'll divide the responsibilities 50-50. Well, how do you mean? You take care of the cooking, and I'll take care of the eating. <laughs> that's my hobby. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It's a date, Dodo. Good. And another date you can have anytime you want is right back here on our show. Viva Liberace! Come back real soon, won't you? Thanks, Dodo. I sure love to. And good night, everyone. You know, in the letters I get from the fellows in the armed forces, there's one subject nearly every one of them mentions. They tell about what a lift it gives them when they hear from the folks back home. So let's keep those GI guys posted, huh? Let me read you what one Marine has to say about how good it feels to answer right here when it comes time for mail call. He writes, Hi, Dodo. Don't know whether or not you ever heard the one about the two-headed shortstop, but brother, right now I feel like a man with 50 heads. I've been appointed to write you, representing all the guys in my outfit. Well, naturally, we couldn't expect any gal to write to all of us, but how's about a chain letter we can post or pass around, huh? You know, over here, we get a kick out of everything, including a letter that doesn't say anything but having a fine time, wish you were here. So, gosh, here's hoping we get a howdy from a singer we also think of as a friend. How about it, Dodo? What have you got to lose? The letter is signed by Sergeant Don Williams. And, Don, I haven't lost any time. The answer's on its way. Oh, and just in case you catch this show overseas, here's a song just for you and your outfit, Okay. Talk to him, please, Mr. Sun. Speak to him, Mr. Rainbow, and take him under your branches, Mr. Tree. Whisper to him, Mr. Wind. Sing to him, Mr. Robin and Mrs. Moonlight. Put in a word for me. Tell him how I feel. It shouldn't end this way. Since you are all his friends, you listen to whatever you have to say. Babble to him, Mr. Brooke. Kiss him for me, Miss Raindrop, and watch to see they all do. Please, Mr. Sun Babble to him, Mr. Brook Kiss him for me Miss Raindrop And watch to see they all do Please, Mr.
Hello, everyone. This is John Payne. Several weeks ago, I had the pleasure of appearing on Stars Over Hollywood, heard Saturday mornings here on CBS Radio. My brief visit here on the Doris Day Show is by way of saying thanks to so many of you for your enthusiastic response to that performance. Like yourselves, I've been a regular listener to Stars Over Hollywood for a long time. And on Saturday mornings, whether I'm at home, going on a drive, at the beach, or on a set, or on a location, working in a motion picture... I find a radio near at hand or take a portable, so I'll be sure to hear the Hollywood stars in Stars Over Hollywood. I suppose you do the same. But for the few of you who haven't as yet become regular listeners to this excellent show, I suggest you start this Saturday morning by joining me in the CBS radio audience. Because the very best that's on the air is in the air for you on Stars Over Hollywood. Time now to bring on a friend of mine who has a grin as irresistible as an Irishman's urge to kiss the Blarney Stone. This broth of a lad is a top-flight song and dance man and a darling comedian. And he's at his very best in his current picture, Singing in the Rain. So you know I'm talking about Donald O'Connor. Hi, everyone. What's new, Dodo? Well, now, Don, before we go into the news department, I want to say that I really appreciate a visit from a busy guy like you. Well, I'm never too busy to drop my yo-yo and call on Dodo. (laughs) Well, now, you're a real pal, because I know you've been working real hard. How else could you have completed Singing in the Rain and be working on I Love Melvin? On account of I'm so lazy. (laughs) You call that being lazy? Well, sure. I had to finish those pictures because I won't get a chance to loaf until I've completed my next picture, Call Me Madam which I couldn't start to work on till I was done with the others, and those couldn't be shooting while this one was already in preparation. And this one couldn't really be prepared while the other two were still incomplete, and I figured that I'd have to have a rest so I could enjoy life while I had the chance, because, after all, I'm still a young man. <laughs> At least you were when you started that sentence. But I agree with you, Don. You owe yourself a nice rest. Well, I hope that after my next picture is finished, life will be a pumpernickel. A pumpernickel? Mm-hmm. A long loaf. <laughs> was trapped. Say, Don, I have a confession to make. You know, I've been working so hard myself that I still haven't seen you in Singing in the Rain, and I hear that you are just wonderful. Oh, go on. Oh, yeah. (laughs) What do you do in it? Well, I, uh, it's a character part. I play myself. (laughs) But the story of the movie is actually about a certain type of movie. In fact, it's about the type of picture for which, if I may say so, I think my singing voice is ideal. Oh, what kind of picture do you mean? Silent. (laughs) It takes place in the late 20s. When the talkies first started, and no one knows whether the silence or the talkies will win out. And, of course, the talkies win in a walk. Exactly. It's kind of a walkie-talkie. Oh, no. <laughs> Gene Kelly and I play a pair of song and dance men. We're pals. Inseparable. Like corned beef and cabbage, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, Don, where does the rain come in? Uh, through a leak in the roof. Oh, <laughs> Excuse me, I thought we were playing riddles. Hey, what I should have said was that the rain supplies the romantic element in the picture. You mean the rain is romantic? Well, Sure. Do you know what you get from kissing in the rain? Something you can't get from any other kind of kissing? You mean wet feet? Doris, you're fighting me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you know, I really wish that you and I could make a picture together sometime. Oh, so do I, Dodo, but we're both so busy. You know, I have to complete... uh, Uh, Don't start that again. You'll be too old for the part. (laughs) 
Yeah, but it's true, Dodo. Now, look, you're real busy yourself. You're still working on April in Paris, aren't you? Uh-huh, but we'll be finished soon. Then they're thinking of putting me in the very, very British musical. Hey, that's the one I'd like to do with you. Yeah? Hey, I've even got a perfect song for it. Oh, you have? How's it go? Well, uh, it's in this little scene. Well, you do it with me, and I'll show you. Fair enough. It's a long way to Tipperary, but here we go. Cedric. Gwendolyn, so good to see you, old girl. It has been an age. Uh, quite. Pater's been married and divorced three times since we last met. Good old Pater. Did you know his last wife? No, I just can't seem to keep track of Pater's tomatoes. <laughs> but you're just looking dashing, old girl. Oh, uh, thank you. I say I'd love to have you in my new show. Oh, what are you doing? A musical comedy version of Webster's Dictionary. Have you read it? Yes. It falls apart in the end. Think so? Between Zebra and Zenoctoc. <laughs> I say, did I interrupt something? Not at all. I was just going for a stroll. Care to join me? Uh, do you mind, old boy? Not at all. See you later. Spots? Why not? Are we on our way to Nottingham or Brittingham or Buckingham or any hammy hamlet by the sea? No. Are we on our way to Devonshire or Lancashire or Westershire? I'm not so sure. We'll have to wait and see. Oh, are we on our way to Dover or going merrily over the jolly old road that leads to Plymouth Row? No. We're merrily, 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 merrily on our way to nowhere in particular. Oh, life is so happy and sunny, we haven't a care that we know. We don't give a hoot about money, unless we run out of dough. You tell us a joke and we laugh, we laugh for a day and a half. We're not so sure we really know just what the joke's about. But we'll just keep on laughing, someday we may find out. <laughs> Did I also tell you about Reggie? No, what about Reggie? Well, last night I was walking past Reggie's apartment house with several of the boys. We heard a voice cry out far from above, and there, sticking his head out of a 15-story window, was Reggie. The building was completely afire. We yelled up to him, Jump, Reggie, jump! We have a tarpaulin! Uh, did Reggie jump? No. He ran to the roof. By now, the building was completely in flames. We yelled up to him, Jump, Reggie, jump! We have a tarpaulin! But Reggie just kept running faster and faster. The flames kept burning higher and higher. And we kept yelling, Jump, Reggie, jump! We have a tarpaulin! Uh, did Reggie jump? Yes. Reggie finally jumped. And you know as well as I that we had no tarpaulin. <laughs> Merrily, 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 merrily on our way. We're merrily on our way to nowhere at all. Oh, that was swell, Dan. Did you write that song yourself? Oh, no, I didn't. But you know, on TV, Sidney Miller and I are supposed to be songwriters. And recently, we really did write a song. It's called I Waited a Little Too Long. And K-Star made a wonderful record of it. Oh, I know. I've heard it. Lots of luck with your song, Don, and thanks so much for being with us tonight. Remember, the latch string is always out for you. Oh, that's, that's awfully nice to know. And now, well, would you do something for me? Sure, you name it. Well, a little while ago, I said there was something uh, exciting about kissing in the rain. Uh-huh. Well, I could get awfully excited hearing you singing in the rain. All right. I'll just run up a bumper chute and drop a downbeat. 
I guess that's about it for tonight. For next week, or any week after that, if there's anything special I can sing for you, just write in and tell me about it. And so, until we get together again next week. I love each moment with you. Love to be with you. Honest, I do love to be with you. Where I belong. Singing my songs for you. Night, everybody. The Doris Day Show is a Martin Melcher production, directed by Sam Pierce and written by Jesse Goldstein and David Gregory. It comes to you transcribed from Hollywood. Doris Day appears through the courtesy of Warner Brothers Pictures and may soon be seen in the winning team co-starring with Ronald Reagan. Donald O'Connor may currently be seen starring in the MGM Technicolor production Singing in the Rain. Liberace may be heard on Columbia Records. The Doris Day Show is heard by the men and women overseas through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio Service. This is Roy Rowan speaking.
Disaster calls from the flood area are still coming in. As the waters recede, Red Cross units begin the big job of rehabilitation. Homes, food, clothing have already been provided for the homeless. 1952 may become the country's worst disaster year. That's why the Red Cross needs your help again. To make sure the vital Red Cross services continue throughout the year, give through your local Red Cross chapter. Be sure to be with us again next week when Doris Day will have as her special guests Mary Wicks and Gordon McRae. Remember, every Sunday we extend a cordial invitation to great music on the CBS Radio Network. Day Show was originally heard on CBS on May the 2nd, 1952. That one featured, of course, Donald O'Connor and Liberace. When I was a kid, I used to read a lot of comic books, and one of the comic books I read was a comic book called Sad Sack. And I remember it was uh, produced by Harvey Comics. Well, as was often the case, the popular comic strips were translated into radio programs. Sad Sack was originally created by a cartoonist named George Baker, and it came out during World War II, but it was still being published in the 1950s when I was collecting comic books. The strip followed Sad Sack's troubles in military life, but the radio show picked up when Sad Sack returned home to civilian life after the war. It starred Herb Vigren as Sad Sack, accompanied by Jim Backus, Sandra Gould, Ken Christie, and Patsy Moran. Now, this was a summer replacement show in 1946 for the Frank Sinatra show. So I think there was only probably 13 episodes originally produced. And of those, I believe only three or four are still in circulation. And this is one of them. This one is entitled Sad Sack Runs for Mayor. And it was originally broadcast August 15th, 1946. The Sad Sack. Out of the pages of Yank, the Army Weekly, comes the hero of World War II, the beloved character, the Sad Sack, created by George Baker and written for radio by Arthur Stander and Charles Eisen. Old Gold Cigarettes, the treasure of them all, Old Gold is proud to present the Sad Sack, featuring Herb Vigran. No cigarette can give you a throat treatment. And old goals are not a substitute for throat care. But if you smoke for the sheer fun of it, 
If you enjoy good, rich, quality tobaccos, blended first and foremost to delight your taste. In other words, if you want a treat instead of a treatment, treat yourself to a pack of old goals today. Well, Mr. Twitchell still hasn't wavered in his decision that Sadsack must not call on his daughter Lucy until Sadsack has a decent job. We find our unhappy veteran discussing this with his boarding house roommate, Chester Fenwick. Chester, I don't know what's the matter with me. I just can't seem to get a decent job. Uh, what about that ad you answered yesterday? Uh, you know, for that job at a cocktail lounge? Oh, it was no good. They just wanted somebody to go around with a sponge and sop up spilled drinks. Uh, what did they offer to pay you? Ten dollars a week in squeezing. <laughs> Lucy wouldn't be impressed with a job like that. I had to turn it down. But sad fact, when jobs are tough to get, you take anything. Look at the job I had a few months ago. A goodwill man and a delicatessen. <laughs> a goodwill man and a delicatessen? Yeah, before they served the tongue sandwiches, I inspected the tongues to see that they weren't sticking out nasty. <laughs> But I have to have a job that has a little importance to it, so Lucy and her father will respect me. Wait a minute, Sack. Why waste your time trying to get an ordinary job? You're a veteran. Why don't you apply for a job working for the city? Boy, there's nothing softer than getting on the city payroll. But, Chester, what kind of a job could I get with the city? Well, you, you could get on the fire department. See, I don't know whether I'd like that. Oh, it's an exciting life. You go to a raging fire, fight your way through the smoke and flames, and when it's all over... You're back at the firehouse, sitting around with the boys and throwing unguantine at each other. No, Chester, I have the wrong attitude to be a fireman. I'd rather just open a door than chop my way through it. Well, there's, there's the police force. They pay nice money. In fact, I almost became a cop myself. Well, why didn't you? I couldn't pass the physical. My arches were too high. <laughs> You, you would have made a good policeman, too. You're so big. Yes, and I'm a bully, too. <laughs> Look, aren't there any other jobs on the city payroll besides the firemen and policemen? Oh, sure there are, Sack. There's the health department, street cleaning department, building inspection, lots of jobs. Look, look, why don't you just go down to City Hall, see what's open, and apply? Yes, that's a good idea, Chester. After all, I have nothing to lose. You're right. I'll go down to City Hall. Say, maybe I could get a chicken inspector's job. I already got the badge. Oh, uh, Miss, I, I was told that this is where I apply for a job with the city. Oh, you're a veteran, aren't you? Well, there are two jobs open. One is children's playground director, and the other is city insect exterminator. However, there's already someone in the reception room waiting to be interviewed for the playground director's position. Well, I'd rather apply for insect exterminator's job anyway. I'd prefer to work with insects. They're much quieter than children. <laughs> well, I hope you've had experience with insect extermination, because the interviewer will want to know your qualifications for the position. Now, just step into the reception room. Thank you. Oh, this Smith, though. What's my next interview? Children's Playground Director. All right. Oh, I hope it's someone with child care experience. Are uh, you there? Come into my office for your interview. 
A- am I next? There was a, another fellow here who stepped out to get a drink of water. Please, I have no time to waste. Come in. Yes, ma'am. Now, about this position. I hope you realize it's one of great responsibility. Now, tell me, what is your method of handling the little ones when they become unruly? Oh, spray them good with DDT. <laughs> what did you say? I said spray them with DDT. Unless there's just a few of them, then you can just stamp on them with your feet. <laughs> you would be out of your mind, the idea. Why, their parents would be in an uproar over this. Oh, no, the first ones you exterminate are the parents. <laughs> that way they can't have any more little ones for you to worry about. <laughs> Young man, either you're crazy or there's a misunderstanding here. I'm talking about boys and girls. Oh, I don't care if they're male or female. I just kill them all. (laughs) Young man, if this is your idea of a joke, it's not very amusing. Now get out of my office at once and stay out. But, but, but I don't understand. Get out of here before I call a policeman. All right, I'm going. Gee, no wonder they got so many bugs in this town. When they got a woman up there protecting them. And then, Chester, she told me to get out of her office. Ah, fine thing. But I knew they'd throw you out. Back as you left, I said to myself, Chester, they won't give that boy a chance. They'll throw him out. That's what I said to myself. Oh. Then why did you let me go? Why should I believe it? It came from an unreliable source. <laughs> you want to know why you didn't get that city job? Politics. You've got to have political contacts, influence. Everybody knows that the Liberty Bell political machine runs this town. Certainly. All the big officials in this town owe their jobs to the Liberty Bell machine. Take Judge Peterson. He's a member of the Liberty Bell Party, and it doesn't matter who runs against him. Why, he's been sitting on the bench for ten years. Oh, I can believe it. I hear he's a very calloused man. <laughs> and, and that's just, just the least of it. Take Mayor Newball. The Liberty Bell machine owns him body and soul. And two worst assets I've never heard of. But, Chester, I thought Mayor Newbold was doing a lot of good. So the people could have cheap water power, he had a great big dam built. Yeah, but don't you think he should have first found out we didn't have a river to go with it? (laughs) Chester, in a project amounting to millions of dollars, a person is bound to overlook something. (laughs) Besides, the dam isn't a total loss. Everybody uses it to play handball against. Why, it's disgusting. Every time they hand out a contract for public works, the mayor gets a cut. And behind the mayor and everybody else, there's always the Liberty Bell machine. Well, in that case, I guess there isn't any chance of me getting a city job just by applying for it. Of course there isn't. But we're not going to take this lying down. We're going over to Liberty Bell headquarters and ask them to get you on the city payroll. What, do you think they'll do it? Well, why shouldn't they? If that bunch of grafters can't give a veteran a job, then there's something wrong with dirty politics. Come on, we'll go right over there. Joe, we gotta face it. The Liberty Bell machine is facing a crisis. All over the country, ex-GIs are winning elections and throwing over the old party machine. Hey, 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 I don't understand what you worry about the facts for. I don't understand. I thought it, I thought it was Judge Saunders, the reform group's candidate for mayor, that you was worried about. That's the point, Joe. The point exactly. The town wants a reform mayor. They're sick of us. If we run New Bowl again, we'll lose for sure. What we got to do is take advantage of the trend and put up a veteran so as we can get the veteran vote. Yeah, yeah, but where are you going to get a veteran control like New Bowl? Where? 
Them vets ain't so dumb. They want houses and decent jobs and other non-essentials. <laughs> after all, after all, we, we first got to build that new racetrack before we can buy with the whims of, whims of homeless people. Look, I admit the vets are pretty smart boys, but there's got to be a dumb one we can find. After all, there are dumb civilians. And what's a veteran? Just a civilian with a lapel button and no home. Well, but it ain't going to be easy to find a vet dumb enough for us to control, no. And unless we're sure, there's no use in talking uh, about it. Oh, oh, excuse me, but the uh, fellow outside told us you men were the big boys around here. Why, uh, yes. Uh, what's on your mind? Gentlemen, I'd like to tell you about a veteran of four years' service in the South Pacific. Five battle stars, an honorable service record, a unit citation, and what happened to him. Gosh, Chester, what happened to him? Quiet, I'm talking about you, you jerk. Well, well, what happened to him? Yeah, what happened to me? He, he went, no, he went down to City Hall. <laughs> this, this soldier, this defender of democracy, and he asked for a job working for the city he loves, and the city he fought for, the city he died for. Chester, I'm not dead. Well, then move once in a while and keep me posted. <laughs> anyway, gentlemen, when he asked for this job, did he get it? Did he? No, he didn't. I was there. Well, why bother us about this? Why, everybody knows the Liberty Bell machine runs this town and controls the city jobs. Now, this boy has to have a political job. He's too dumb to be anything but a politician. Please, Chester, don't tell them I'm dumb That won't make them want to give me a job uh, Wait a minute, gentlemen Joe, did you hear that? A veteran, been overseas four years, got battle stars Yeah, 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 and he's a real ignoramus He's a real ignoramus yeah. He'll make a fine mayor, fine <clears throat> My boy, your friend has convinced us That it is our duty to you as a veteran To get you started in a position with the city Oh, that's wonderful. I'm willing to do anything you can suggest. Oh, that's fine. Just the man we need. But why start off with some insignificant little job? Well, that's, that's mighty nice of you. After all, if you have something a shade above starting at the bottom, it would be nice. Uh, uh, just what position did you have in mind for him? The Liberty Bell Party is going to run him in the coming election as their candidate for the office of mayor. Oh, that's fine. I think... I don't care. Well, well, why shouldn't the next man be a veteran? Why? Most of our young citizens today are veterans. It just shows that the Liberty Bell machine gives the people what they want. Well, I, I still don't get it. We walk in, I say a few words, and now he's going to be a mayor. Hey, what a salesman I must be. My gosh, who knows? If I don't keep my big mouth shut, he's liable to become president. <laughs> Can this be true? Sad sack for mayor? Oh, this is one campaign I don't want to miss. Well, as hard as it is to believe, the Liberty Bell Party, for reasons best known to us, is actually going to run sad sack for mayor. At the moment, we find sad sack at his boarding house with Chester and their landlady, listening to an announcement of same on the radio. So basic to the will of the public, the public which the Liberty Bell Party always serves. They announced today their intention to run for the office of mayor, a dark horse candidate, 
a combat veteran of four years in the Pacific, Thad Sack. And this winds up our five o'clock summary of the news. Now a word from our sponsor, Lady Lasbourne's Hotcake. You have just been listening to the noted news analyst, Drew Gruskin. Mr. Gruskin's views are his own, and in no way express the views of Lady Lasbourne's Hotcakes. The Lady Lasbourne's Hotcakes are non-political and delicious. <laughs> Lady Lasbourne's Hotcakes contain no minerals, no vitamins, no... Uranium. <laughs> it's just 100% pure hotcake. So don't forget. Well, well, that's enough of that. Well, it's true. I can't believe it, but it's true. I heard them say it. Sad sack for mayor. Of course it's true. Gosh, wait till Lucy and Mr. Twitchell hear I'm running for mayor. They'll have respect for me now. Uh, Sack, enough of this idle talk. We, we've got to get busy. We've got to plan your campaign, your, your, your platform. Yes, I've got to get a campaign slogan. Let's see. Oh, I know. I shall return. What is that? Well, General MacArthur was very successful with it. <laughs> no, let, forget the slogan. Now, what's important is, what are you going to do? What changes are you going to make? Well, for one thing, I'm going to be an honest mayor. The first thing I'm going to do is clean this town up. You really think the town needs cleaning up? Certainly. Only this morning I ran my finger along the curb and look, dust. Well, I didn't know you meant that kind of a cleanup, but at least it's different. While other politicians are appealing to the man on the street, you'll be the first one to appeal to the man in the gutter. <laughs> yes, and, and I've got other changes to make as mayor. Look at the school system, for instance. What's wrong with it? It's all wrong. The idea of little kiddies going to school in the daytime when they should be out in the bright sunshine. Well, uh, what would you suggest? I'd have them in school at night when there is no sun. <laughs> Say, from, uh, from eight at night until three in the morning. <laughs> uh, kindergarten only until two in the morning. But when would the children sleep? During their classes. I'm not going to change that. <laughs> Fact, the important thing is that you'll be an honest mayor. No graft, no dirty politics, no gravy job for friends. No payoff to pals. No... By the way, what have you got in mind for me? Hmm. <laughs> I wondered when this was going to start. This I prefer not to hear. But, Chester, you said yourself that as mayor I shouldn't give jobs to friends. No, I, I can't do it. Well, then forget the friendship. Give me a job and I'll hate you. <laughs> Well, I, I suppose I could give you a small job in the license bureau. Oh, come, come. You can give me a bigger job. I'll hate you more than that. Say, how about making me a police commissioner? Mm. Well, we'll talk about it later, Chester. Right now, I just want to think about being mayor. <laughs> Gosh, Lucy will be the first lady of the city. Sad Sack, I'm glad you're home. I want to talk to you. Why, Mr. Twitchell and Lucy. Hello, Sad Sack. Well, Lucy, I guess I've proved I've got the stuff to be a success. When they pick you for mayor, you have to have something on the ball. That's what I want to talk to you about. Sad Sack, don't you realize they're just using you as a dupe? Mr. Twitchell, don't you mean dope? <laughs> That's not a correction, merely an addition. <laughs> well, what's this all about? You should be congratulating Sad Sack. Don't you understand, Chester? The Liberty Bell Party is losing power, so they're trying to steal the veterans' vote. That's right, but they want a veteran they can control so they can continue with their dirty politics. 
They want a dope. Mr. Twitchell, don't you mean dupe? <laughs> but uh, why are you so interested, Mr. Twitchell? Because I'm a committee member of the reform group. We want to see Judge Saunders get in as mayor and clean this town up. This town really needs it. You're right, Mr. Twitchell. I was just pointing out to Chester how dusty the curbs are. Don't you see, Sad Sack? They think they can exploit your record as a soldier to win the election for them and beat the mayor this town really needs, Judge Saunders. And once you become mayor, they wouldn't let you open your mouth. Their torpedoes and hoodlums would bully you into doing things their way. Gosh, Mr. Twitchell, Lucy, I didn't know this. I know what I'll do. I'll refuse to run. Sad Sack, this town won't forget you for this. Yes, dear. I have more respect for you right now than if you had become mayor. No, no, hey, wait a minute. If you really feel so strongly about getting Judge Sanders in, why have Sadzak withdraw as a candidate? What do you mean, Chester? Well, if Sadzak withdraws, they're liable to pull the wool over the eyes of another veteran and get him to run for mayor. No, no, the only way to defeat the Liberty Bell machine is to let Sadzak run, but make sure he's a bad candidate. We'll handle his campaign, we'll write his speeches, and we'll make sure he loses votes. Chester, you've got an idea there. The Liberty Bellers are having a big rally in a few days. Sad Sack can substitute our speech for the one they give him and really turn the voters against him. Oh, but I don't know whether the boy can do it. It takes acting. Oh, don't worry. I'll get up there and give them everything I've got. I'll make them think I'm a jerk. I'm wrong. He can do it. <laughs> Chester, what a great piece of political strategy this is. And now, citizens of our glorious city, the Liberty Bell Party would like to present its candidate for mayor, a newcomer to politics, but a veteran at fighting for freedom, our G.I. choice, Sadsack! Okay, Sadsack, you got that speech we wrote for you? Oh, I got a different one I'm going to make, Mr. Hooley. What? But listen, you can't Please, do... please, there's no time to argue. <clears throat> uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, do you want a fool for mayor? No! Do, do you want a weakling for mayor? No! Do you want a coward for mayor? No! Well, elect me and you'll have all three. <laughs> In fact, uh, fellow citizens, if you have any brains at all, you'll vote for Judge Saunders on the reform ticket. <clears throat> I know I'm going to. Sad sack, what are you trying to do? You're a fool. I know it. I just told the people that. <laughs> uh, to uh, continue, ladies and gentlemen, uh, most politicians promise you everything and give you nothing. But not me. I promise you nothing and I'll live up to it. <laughs> so, so if you want a man who will really do something for you, vote for Judge Saunders, who has... Sack, Sack, you were, you were wonderful. If that speech didn't succeed in making you unpopular, I, I don't know what could. Nobody in their right mind would vote for you now. Yes. Did you see how mad Ed Hooley, the Liberty Bell boss, was? 
Gee, I just got out of there in time. Oh, I can't wait to hear... Why, Mr. Twitchell, what's the matter? I can't believe it. I can't understand it. It's impossible. Uh, give me an aspirin. No, better not. Give me poison. Why, what's wrong? You ought to be happy over Sack's speech last night. Happy? Look at these newspapers. Town goes mad over G.I. candidate. Any man honest enough to admit his shortcomings will make a more honest mayor than this town has ever had. Sad Sack chose the win and decision of another Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Lincoln? Gee, do you think they'll ever put my head on a penny? I don't know, but you got the right size head for it. <laughs> Chester, we're in a mess. The whole idea boomeranged on us. Sad sex, the most popular candidate the town's ever had. Uh, I'll get it. Hello, Sad Sack speaking. Hello, Sad Sack. This is Ed Hooley. I want to apologize for last night. I didn't realize what you were up to, my boy. Oh, what a politician you are. The newspapers ate it up. You're a sense to be our next mayor. Well, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> Chief, goodbye. That was Ed Hooley to congratulate me. I guess we are in a mess. We've got to do something to save this election. Oh, wait a minute. There's still time left to make Sad Sack unpopular. Now, let's think. One of the things that politicians do to make themselves popular is that we can reverse. They kiss babies. Like... Don't be silly. Wait a minute. The boy's got something there. Women will never vote for a man who doesn't like their children. We'll have Sad Sack going around refusing to kiss babies. It can't miss making him unpopular. Come on, Sad Sack. We'll go right over to the park. You mean you two fellows have been out all day refusing to kiss babies? Yes. I'd go up to a mother and say, I'm candidate for mayor. Is that your baby? Then she'd say, yes, would you like to kiss him? And I'd say, no, thanks. I don't like to kiss babies. And boy, would they throw him a dirty look after he refused to kiss their kids. Oh, he's certainly unpopular now. Mr. Twitchell. Not again. I can't believe it. I can't understand it. It's impossible. Give me an aspirin. Give me poison. Better yet this time, just stab me. <laughs> well, now what? Look. Look at these headlines on every paper in town. Sad Sack refuses to kiss babies to win votes. Would rather lose votes than take chance of spreading disease. <laughs> Board of Health, now solidly behind G.I. candidate. First sanitary politician to run for office. What a mess. The more he does wrong, the more they want to elect him. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Twitchell. I don't know whether there's enough time left to make him unpopular. There's just one more rally for him to speak at. Oh, it's no use. Yeah. Wait. I've come to a decision. As long as I'm so popular, why shouldn't I become mayor? Only a good one like Judge Saunders would be. Instead of pretending I'm a fool at this last rally, I'll be myself. Oh, no change, huh? <laughs> yes, there will be a change. As long as I'm so popular, I'll promise the things we veterans need. New houses. Decent jobs and honest administration. Sandsack, if you'll do that, then I'm behind you. Go to it, son. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Twitchell. Yes. Well, 
ahead, Zach. Back from the rally already? How'd it go? Oh, fine, Mr. Twitchell. Your candidate, Judge Saunders, is a cinch to get elected. I do... Huh? What do you mean? Well, this time, when I wanted to be elected and told him that I'd spend every dollar it takes to get the things this town really needs, guess what? What? Boy, did I become unpopular! Well, for once, Sad Sack, Mayor Reject, has gotten back into his girl's good graces by being unsuccessful. We find him now with Lucy getting back. Sad Sack, you may not be the mayor of this city, but, oh, you'll still be the mayor of me. Oh, Lucy, don't say that. Why not? I promised Chester when I took office that I'd cut him in for 50% of my jurisdiction. <laughs> Well, that was the sad sack. Now, I I still remember that the comic book just being sad sack, not the sad sack, but whatever the case, that was the sad sack. The name of that episode was The Sad Sack Runs for Mayor. It was originally broadcast August the 15th, 1946, as a summer replacement for the uh, Frank Sinatra show, and that was on CBS. All right, we're going to end things up with a really great science fiction show, X-1. This one I listened to the other night, and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Talk about sophisticated writing. This was originally broadcast January 11th, 1956. It was on NBC. It's entitled Time and Time Again. And X-1 was a a half-hour science fiction radio drama series. It was on the air between 1955 and 1958 in various time slots on NBC, but it had really high production values, and it adapted stories from some of the leading American authors of the era. X-1 has been described as one of the finest offerings of American radio drama and one of the best science fiction series in any medium. And after you listen to this episode, I think you just might agree. In just a moment, X-1. But first, when you hear the hearty laugh and familiar voice of the great Gildersleep tomorrow night, you know you're in for some hilarious adventures. Because whenever Gildy is around, somehow things never seem to go as planned. It might be his impulsive nature, or maybe it's his incurable weakness for the fairest sex, but whatever it is, The Great Gildersleeve is bound to keep you laughing for a full 25 minutes. Tune in tomorrow night and meet Judge Hooker, Nephew Leroy, Housekeeper Bertie, and all the rest of the friendly people from Summerfield as they join the Great Gildersleeve. Now stay tuned for X-1 on NBC. Countdown for blastoff. X-5, 4, 3, 2... X minus one, fire.
From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Street and Smith, publishers of astounding science fiction, presents... X minus one... Tonight's story, Time and Time Again, by H. Beam Piper. It happened during a routine skirmish in the Great War. Patrols advanced from the defense perimeter under jet cover and preceded by napalm throwers. The enemy defended in depth and mopped up with guided 98s fired from 40 miles to the rear. The blast area was 10 miles in circumference. And the medics didn't find much to pick up over 500 yards in. Come on, come on. All right, now back it in here. Look out, it's lousy with mud. More, more. Now, now cut left. More, hold it. Stretch it. Come on, Travers, get those men out. Yes, sir. Get a move on. Line them up. Come on. Easy, easy. You want to kill them? Okay, take it away. Left those Joes where they was. Half of them won't last till the plane comes. As long as they're alive, they'll be treated. Get those tags out, Travis. Start taking names. Yes, sir. This one must have been a thousand yards in. Get his dog tag out. What a mess. Here. Hartley Allen, Captain G5 Chem Research AN 73D. Number SO 23869 403-J. Hartley? Alan Hartley. Oh, that must be the Hartley that wrote uh, Children of the Mist and Conker's Road. Never heard of him. Major, Major, I think maybe he's partly conscious. Had I better give him another shot? Go ahead, Sergeant. There isn't much else we can do for him. It's a rotten shame. Yeah, ain't it always. Okay, Captain, let me have that arm. There. God. Down. Down. Get up, Alan. Can't stay in bed all day. I remember that. Clear as if it were real. Up and at him. Hit the deck. Remarkably vivid. It's strange. Alan, are you all right? I'm all right. What's wrong with my voice? Huh? What are you doing? Practicing singing? My voice has changed. <laughs> Is that all? You're growing up. Happy birthday. H happy birthday? Hey, wake up, son. Wake up. I am awake. It's impossible. I, I am awake. Well, the way you slept through that alarm, I'd say it was impossible. Come on, out of bed. I don't understand. You went to bed at a decent hour. You could wake up the next morning. Come on, son. Breakfast waiting. Out of bed or I'll turn it over. All right, all right. It's a dream. Maybe, but you're wide awake now. I am. I'm awake. Well, half awake anyway. That's the bell at St. Boniface, isn't it? What? 
What day is it? Are you kidding? You forget today's your birthday? No, no. No, I, I didn't forget. Neither did I. Here, son. Happy 13th birthday. <laughs> you won't guess what's in here. A rifle. A light 22 rifle. Oh. Oh, now, how did you know that? I remember it. Did I spill the beans sometime? Oh. I could have sworn it would be a surprise. Well, go on. Open it. You like it? Yeah. Yeah, it's perfect, Dad. Uh, we'll have to lay down rules about using it. And I'll have to teach you how to operate it. I don't believe in letting a boy handle a gun until he really knows how. <laughs> if I let you play with that thing before I teach you about guns, you'd blow your head off. I suppose so. I'll be shaving, Alan. Come down to breakfast when you're ready. Well, it's a big day today. You're almost a man. Almost. <laughs> you're still groggy. Snap out of it, Alan. I, I will. There's a dream in it somewhere, but... I'm not sure which. What? Ne ne never mind, Dad. I'll be right down for breakfast. What you gonna do today, son? Well, I want to do some reading this morning. I oh, guess... that's always a good thing to do. After breakfast, suppose you take a walk down to the station and get me a Times. Didn't it come? What, the Times? Well, they don't deliver. <laughs> Be a good idea, though. Maybe I'll talk to Sam Ashburn about it. Here's a half dollar, Alan. Get anything you want for yourself out of the change. Thanks, Dad. Uh, finish your milk before you go. Uh, <laughs> sure, Dad. Thanks for the money. You're big enough to handle it now. Hurry back. I'd like to finish the crossword puzzle before lunch. <laughs> Here you are, Alan, one times. Tell your father the puzzle's a stinker this week. Yeah, thanks, Mr. Ashburn. Look out for the trucks when you cross the highway. I'll go across Elton's lot. It's a shortcut. Elton's? <laughs> You'll have a hard time crossing there, son. There's four buildings on that block. I thought they burned down. Well, I've seen them this morning, big as life. I guess that didn't happen yet. What'd you say? N nothing, Mr. Ashburn. I was just muttering. Hmm. My days, youngsters talked up. Yes, sir. Bye, Mr. Ashburn. Monday, August 6th, 1945. Okinawa 1. I'm in Japan. Hey! Hey, Alan! Huh? Alan, wait up! Hey, Larry Morton! Hi, Larry! Hi, Al. You going to Sunday school? No, I have some things I want to do at home. Oh, get him. Fancy pants talk. Things I want to do at home. Oh, go chase yourself around a block. Go jump in a garbage can. Go take a flying jet to the moon. Hey, hey that's a new one. Flying jet to the moon. You thought up a new one, Al. Yeah. I wish I could stay home from Sunday school when I wanted to. How about us going swimming at the canoe club after? Oh, I wish I could. I gotta stay home. We're expecting company. A couple aunts of mine. Dad wants me to stay home when they come. I answer a pain. Nothing I can do. You see the football movie at the Grand? Boy, what a team. Notre Dame. I thought you'd like Cornell. Cornell? <laughs> they couldn't beat Vassar. Well, you're going to go to Cornell, aren't you? Me, Cornell? Fat chance. I'll bet you do. I wouldn't take your money. Well, I know you wouldn't, but you'll go to Cornell, all right. <laughs> Cornell. 
Far above Cayuga's waters, there's an awful smell just the same. You all go to Cornell. Hey, Larry, I, I gotta go. Well, so long, Al. I'll see you. So long, Larry. See you. Stuck in this corner, staring at a word that makes in proportion. Titrate. Huh? Titrate. Mm. T I. <laughs> it fits. Now, now how, how did you know that, Alan? That? Well, I read it somewhere, I guess. Oh. What you reading now? Tarzan again? No, not not Tarzan. <laughs> it's refreshing to see you with a book. Sometimes I think I ought to forbid comic books in the house. Hmm. Yeah, they must be raising the devil with those bombing raids in Japan. How long do you think the war in Japan will last, Dad? Oh? Hmm, I'd say it's the middle of 1946. They'll have to invade those islands foot by foot. I don't think so, Dad. I wouldn't be surprised if the war was over very suddenly. How, by magic? <laughs> there isn't a thing on Earth will make those Japanese surrender. You expect somebody to make a pass and it'll be all over by this afternoon? Something like that. Mm, wish you could. A lot of boys dead in the invasion of Japan. Mr. Hartley, excuse me, please. Oh, hello, Mr. Gutchell. That's Frank Gutchell, Dad? That's right. Excuse me. I didn't mean to disturb you, Mr. Hartley. Mm, it's all right. Lovely day, isn't it, Mr. Gutchell? Uh, Mr. Hartley, the Lord's day is always beautiful. Mm. <laughs> of course, Mr. Gutchell. Mr. Hartley, I, I wonder if... Uh, if you could lend me a gun and some bullets. My little dog's been hurt and it's been suffering something terrible. Oh, that's too bad. I want a gun to put the poor thing out of its pain. Of course. Uh, now, how would a 20-gauge shotgun do? You wouldn't want anything heavy. I was hoping you'd let me have a little gun. Maybe, oh, uh, so big. A pistol? So I could put it in my pocket. It wouldn't look right to carry a hunting gun on the Lord's Day. And people wouldn't understand... That it was for a work of mercy. Of course, I understand. You're, you're a very religious man. The whole world is evil, Mr. Hartley. Yeah, sometimes it certainly looks like it. Well, I have a Colt 38 Special from the auxiliary police outfit. Well, that's fine. Now, you've got to bring it right back, Mr. Gutchell. I might be called out. Now, you'll have to promise to get it right back. Uh, Dad, uh, uh, wait a minute. I, I just remembered. Uh, remembered what? Well, aren't there some cartridges left for the Luger? Uh, then you wouldn't be without the Colt. That's right. I have got a German automatic I could let you have. That way I wouldn't get stuck. You'd have to return it promptly, though. Oh, wait, Dad. I'll get it. I know where the cartridge is. Be careful, are. son. Well, Mr. Gutschel, it sure turned out nice. That's all right. Hello, police headquarters. This is Blake Hartley. Frank Gutchell, who lives on Campbell Street, has just borrowed a gun from me, ostensibly to shoot a dog. What? No, he has no dog. He intends shooting his wife. Now, listen, he'll walk home. If you hurry, you can get a man there on time. What? No, but I wish you'd get my pistol back to me. It's from the First World War. All right, all right, then you'll take care of it. Goodbye. There you are. What kept you, Alan? Well, I couldn't find the cartridges at first. I'll show Mr. Gutchell how it works. It's all loaded, ready to shoot. 
This is the safety. Just push it forward and up. There are eight shots in it. Did you load the chamber, Ellen? Sure. It's on safe now. You understand how it works, Mr. Gutchell? Oh, yes. Yes, I understand. Thank you, Mr. Hartley. Thank you, Sonny. Goodbye. Goodbye, Mr. Gutchell. Return the gun when you're done. Yes, I'll be done with it soon. Goodbye. Ellen, you shouldn't have loaded that gun. I guess it's all over now. I had to keep you from fooling with it. I didn't want you to see I took out the firing pin. You what? Gutchell didn't want that gun to shoot a dog. He's a fanatic. He sees visions, hears voices. The voices probably put him up to this. Well, I'll submit that any man who holds intimate conversations with disembodied spirits isn't to be trusted with a gun. What are you talking about? While I was at it, I called the police upstairs. I put a handkerchief over my mouth and told them I was you. You? Well, why did you have to do that? I couldn't have told him this is little Alan Hartley, 13 years old. Then suppose he really wants to shoot a dog. What kind of a mess will I be in then? No mess. If I'm wrong, which, which I'm not, I'll take the rap for it. Dumb kid trick, you know. But if I'm right, you'll have to front for me. You give me a lot of cheap boy hero publicity, which I don't want. This is crazy, Alan. This is absolutely crazy. Maybe. We'll have the complete returns in 20 minutes. Mr. Hartley? Mr. Blake Hartley? That's right. I'm Detective Sergeant Kaborski from Homicide. Here's your Luger. Thank you. I don't know how you spotted that guy, but when we busted in, he was pointing that gun at his wife and swearing a blue streak because it wouldn't go off. I'm, uh... <laughs> I'm glad I was able to help. You know, they may even have some kind of a citation for you, Mr. Hartley. I, I, I don't think that's necessary. In the department, we figure a little publicity never hurt nobody. Even a lawyer, huh? I really would prefer it if it kept quiet. Well, whatever you say. Uh, we'll want you to drop around in the morning for a statement. I'll be glad to. Well, goodbye. Goodbye, Sonny. Uh, goodbye, goodbye, Sergeant. Sergeant. Uh... Why don't you take the citation, Dad? Well, you were right. You saved that woman's life. Now, let's see you put back the firing pin. Sure. There. All right, Alan. Suppose we have a little talk. But I explained everything. You did not. Yesterday, you wouldn't even have known how to take this pistol apart. Today, you've been using language and expressing ideas that are outside of everything you've ever known before. Now, I want to know... I hope you're not toying with the medieval notion of obsession. What? Well, you say I'm changed. When did you first notice this? Last night, you were still my little boy. This morning, I don't know. You've been strange all day. There's been something. Alan, what's happened to you? I wish I could be sure of myself, Dad. You see, when I woke this morning, I hadn't the least recollection of anything I'd done yesterday, August 4th, 1945. Oh, but that's serious. You don't know how serious. My last memory was lying on a stretcher, injured by a bomb explosion. I was 43 years old, and the year was 1975. 1975? Well, that's right. You'll be 43 in 1975, but... But, but a bomb? Yes. During the siege of Buffalo in the Third World War. I was a captain in G5, Scientific Warfare, General Staff. Buffalo? You mean Buffalo, New York? There'd been a transpolar invasion of Canada. I was sent to the front to check on service failures of a new lubricating oil. 
A week after I got there, Ottawa fell and the retreat started. We made a stand at Buffalo and that was where I got it. I remember being picked up and getting a narcotic injection. The next thing I knew, I was in bed upstairs and it was 1945 again. And I was back in my own 13-year-old body. <laughs> oh, Alan, you just had a nightmare to end all nightmares, that's all. I thought it might be that at first, but I rejected it. It won't fit the facts. But it's ridiculous, all this Battle of Buffalo stuff... You picked up something listening to the radio. All the commentators have been going on about another war after this one. You've just got an undigested hunk of H.V. Callan born in your subconscious, that's all. But that isn't everything. I remember four years of high school, four years at Cornell, seven years as a reporter on the Philadelphia Record, three novels, Children of the Mist, Rose of Death, Conqueror's Road. You think a 13-year-old can dream up all that stuff? But it's the only possible explanation. Maybe, but I can speak five languages today that I couldn't yesterday. French, German, Chinese, Russian, and a little Spanish. Although I've got a Mexican accent you could cut with a knife. But but how did it happen? I, Alan, I, I can't believe it. All I know is here I am. I, I, I've been reading up on time theories. Nobody seems to know much about them. Evidently, time exists parallel as another dimension, and I got kicked backwards along it. But How? Oh, it may have been the radiations from the bomb or the narcotic injection, or both together. But the fact remains, I'm here with full knowledge of my future identity. This... This is quite a shock, Alan. But you do believe me, don't you? Yes, I suppose I must. You seem so strange as if you weren't my son. I'm your son, all right. Same body as yesterday. I I've just had an educational shortcut. Wait a minute. If you can remember the next 30 years, suppose you tell me when the war is going to end. This one against the Japs, I mean. Oh, sure. Well, the Japanese surrender will be announced at exactly 7.01 p.m. on August 14th. That's a week from Tuesday. A week from Tuesday. Hey, you better make sure we have plenty of grub in the house by then. Everything will be closed up tight till Thursday morning, even the restaurants. I remember we had nothing to eat in the house but some scraps. A week from Tuesday. That's pretty sudden, isn't it? Not after today. What do you mean? What happened today? Oh, plenty. Uh, well, what time is it, Dad? Mm -hmm. It's 11.16. Is your watch right? Well, to the seconds, why? Well, it'll come at exactly 11.17.40. What'll come? The radio announcement. What are you getting at? Something important on the radio? Well, we'll see. Well, don't bother, Dad. It won't work. I remember we had a tube burned out. Well, there is something wrong. When is this announcement of yours? Now I remember it. I, I memorized it in journalism school in 1954. What, what time is it? 11, 18 o'clock. Well, they're breaking into the program now. President Truman has just announced that an atomic bomb has been dropped on the Japanese industrial city of Hiroshima. The bomb was dropped 16 hours ago, and the announcement was delayed to ascertain the results of the explosion. A man named John Howard Peterson read that announcement from the Washington newsroom with NBC. I, I don't believe it. No? Well, listen, but... That's the Burke Platt factory whistle. A and the bells of St. Boniface. Now, next, the whistle at the volunteer firehouse. Well, I... Then it's true. It's true. Sure. Then Larry Morton came by on his bicycle. Hey! Hey! Hey, Al! Al, 
you hear? You hear about the bomb? An atomic bomb? Yeah, we heard. Boy, atomic bomb. Oh, boy. I gotta go find my poppies on the golf course. Bye, Al. Bye, Mr. Hartley. You knew. You knew about it. The next bomb hits Nagasaki. Yeah, I thought that stuff about atomic energy was so much fantasy. Was... Was that the kind of bomb that got you? Oh, that was a firecracker to the one that got me. It was a guided 98. Exploded 10 miles away. And that's going to happen in 30 years? I remember it. How about... Well, uh... How about me? Oh, wait, wait. Uh, never mind. I don't think I'd better know when I'm going to die. I couldn't tell you anyway. I had a letter from you just before I left for the front. You were 78 then, and you were still hunting and fishing and flying your own plane. <laughs> but another war. And fought on American soil. Oh, Ellen, I wish this hadn't happened to you. It happened. I remember it. But if I can help it, I'm not going to get killed in any battle of Buffalo. But if you remember it, if time exists as a parallel dimension, then every tick we're getting closer to that Third World War. Dad, you know what I remembered when Gutchell came to borrow that gun? No, I suppose that you suspected him and warned me. No, 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 that wasn't it. The other time, the first time, when I was really 13, I wasn't home. I'd been swimming at the canoe club with Larry Morton. When I get home about a half an hour from now, I found the house full of cops. But if the gun didn't fire... What makes you think it didn't? Gutchell talked the 38 out of you. He went home, shot his wife four times in the body, once behind the ear, and used the sixth shot to blow his own brains out. That's what you remember? Yes. The cops traced the gun. They took a very poor view of your lending it to him. You never got it back. But here it is. Oh, not the way I remember it. But I didn't want you in trouble, so I warned you. Dad, I found out the future can be changed. <laughs> One man can't change the whole future. I stopped a murder and a suicide. I know, but... With uh... 30 years to work, I can stop a world war. I'll have the means, too. The means? Unlimited wealth and influence. I've got a good memory, Dad. I wrote a list out this afternoon... Salt, jet pilot, citation, ponder, middle ground. What is this, a code? Horses. That's a list of Kentucky Derby winners from 1946 to 1970. Huh? You sure? Oh, I learned that list on a bet at the Officers Club in Cincinnati in 1971. Assault paid eight to one. You figure out what we can take in. But gambling. Oh, this isn't gambling. It's a sure thing. When we get rolling, we'll make the Rockefellers look like pikers. Hmm. Assault at eight to one. Mm-hmm. I suppose I could scrape up $5,000. Hmm. In 10 years, that'll make a lot of money. Uh, any other little thing you have in mind, Ellen? Well, by 1952, we start building a political organization here in Pennsylvania. In uh, 1960, I think we can elect you president. President? Isn't that going a little too far? Well, why not? Who wouldn't vote for a politician who was always right? Hmm. Besides, that's the one thing we've got to change. In 1960, we had a man in the White House who was good to his wife and sang a nice tenor, and that's about all. He fouled up so completely, we ended up at war. Now, I think President Hartley might be a little more trusted to take a strong line. But I don't know anything about international decisions. I do. I know all the wrong ones. If we can stop one murder, we can stop a war. It's worth a try, isn't it? I guess so. Uh, how do I start? Well, as I remember, just after the bomb announcement, 
You got a phone call from the city fusion party about the next election. Well, there's a lot of talk about a reform ticket. Well, that call is going to be important, Dad. It's the turning point. Now, now you've got to know. There it is. Well, what do I do? Well, answer it. Go ahead. But... Don't worry. I'll tell you what to do. Go ahead. Hello? Yes, this is Blake Hartley. Judge Cribbins. Yes. Uh, just a moment. Alan, oh. he's asking me to run. Oh, my head. Alan. Oh. Alan, what's the matter? Oh. Alan. He passed out. Alan, what do I do now? Alan, listen to me. Alan. Alan, what's the matter? Captain. Captain Hartley. Captain Hartley. He was all right, Doctor. I gave him a shot and he was all right. Well, he's dead. All right, Sergeant. Make out the tag. Hartley Allen. Captain. Dead April 8th, 1975. Allen. Allen, what happened? Allen. Allen. Huh? Huh? Allen, are you all right? Uh, oh. Hi, Dad. I've got Judge Crimmins on the phone. What do I tell him? What? what? Allen. Are you all right? You passed out. Sure. I'm all right. Hey, today's my birthday, isn't it? What'd you give for my birthday, huh? Don't you remember? The Third World War? What Third World War? Dad, what's the matter? You're looking at me funny. You don't remember. You're back again, aren't you? Back to 13 years old. Sure, I'm 13 today, for corn's sake, Dad. You must have died up there. It was only a mind transfer. That means I'm on my own. I have to do it myself without your help. Help for what? If it's the grass, I said I'd cut it tomorrow. No, no, it's not the grass. I've got to save your life, Ellen. I can't let you die that way in 1975. You're talking about dad you sound goofy i've got to change it all by myself change what never mind alan you don't know yet come on let's have lunch well, sure dad but now how about my present now what'd you give me for my birthday in huh? a minute son go on in okay well hurry up dad huh? sure all right hmm now where did i put that list of horses have just heard X-1, presented by the National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Street and Smith, publishers of astounding science fiction. Tonight, by transcription, X-1 has brought you Time and Time Again, written by H. Beam Piper and adapted for radio by Ernest Canoy. Featured in the cast were Jack Grimes, Peter Fernandez, Joe DeSantis, Joseph Bell, Clark Gordon, Herm Dinkin, Dick Hamilton, and James Dukas. Your announcer, Fred Collins. X-1 was directed by Daniel Sutter and is an NBC Radio Network production.
Told you that was a good one. Really outstanding, outstanding episode. That was X-1, and that was first broadcast January 11th, 1956 on NBC, time and time again. A really, really classy and classic episode of that program. it for the old time radio grab bag number 10 hope you enjoyed it uh, if you have any suggestions for shows we might play you can send me a note just send it to bob at bestoldtimeradio.com and i'll see what i can do we'll be back tomorrow with our archive show and i uh, hope you have a really great weekend everybody this is bob bro i'm so glad you stopped by and i am so glad you met me